Miles here. We are week 12 of the NFL season. Happy to be. Oh, sorry. I'm sorry. I was having a very uh, elaborate pause there. Happened to also be Thanksgiving. Miles, how are you? Yeah, Tristan, it was week one of the Thanksgiving season. And uh, are, you, are you on a winning streak after Thanksgiving, personally? Um, I'm winning in a lot of ways. Uh, I got a great wife. Um, enjoy Enjoyed a lot of beer and had some great Thanksgiving memories. Um, let's see, how else am I winning? What other ways did I win? Um, did you sing Thanksgiving carols with your family? Did you do Thanksgiving caroling? No Thanksgiving caroling. I didn't eat too much dessert. So I'd say that's also, I'm going to put that in the win category. I went on a run Thanksgiving morning. So I'll also put that on in the win category. Um, yeah, yeah. So it was a really good Thanksgiving for me. How was, how was your Thanksgiving, Miles? I had a great Thanksgiving. Uh, we, we play a lot of board games as a family over Thanksgiving. We got new classics. We got old classics. And uh, just that time, every every year, we busted out around Thanksgiving time. Are you guys playing that newfangled Uno flip? No. It is wild. Uh, no, I guess I, I did play chess. It's a little bit older. No, but classic. Um, let me just put this Uno flip. It's two sided Uno cards with completely different rules on either side. So imagine Uno. It's a it, it is an Uno game that's a little more adult friendly because it has it's just a little bit more engaging. There's more going on. So it's a terrible if you're to try to play it with a little kid. It's a terrible Uno game to play. But if you're playing with a bunch of adults, it's actually really, really fun. So Uno Flip, um, not an official sponsor of the podcast, but uh, would would love would welcome their money if they want to send it our way. Well, it was great to catch up, Tristan. I think that was a great. I think that was a great. Ep- I think we covered everything. Is that That's right? It. Yeah, um, I can't think of anything else that happened on Thanksgiving. I mean, um, made a couple of turkeys. I did have some pumpkin pie, but again, not too much. That tryptophan, boy, howdy. Ooh, yeah. Um, and you were in, were you, no, you were in Washington. You were in Washington for Thanksgiving, right? I was in Washington for Thanksgiving. Okay. Close. Close to the, oh, wait, hold on. The, what? Um, I think something else happened on Thanksgiving. I think really, yeah. I, I Thanksgiving think, caroling. Oh, we yeah, already went over that. Yeah, you know, it, it might have been that I started drinking more once it happened, but now it 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 really occurs to me that the 49ers came into Seattle, into the Hawks' nest, and the Seahawks laid an egg, um, and 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 that's what happened. So so now we can end the show, right? We don't need to talk about this game. We can just move on. I think we covered it. It was, it was pretty close. The Seahawks just barely, um, mm. you know, lost by by eighteen points, and and I think that just about covers it. Most games in the NFL come down to eighteen or twenty points. That's very normal. Um, no one, you shouldn't read into this at all. This is a very normal, good game. Um, man, everyone competed like crazy. Good. Okay. Well, hey, Miles, what do we got next week? Who are we playing? Oh man, I didn't. T- who you know? Another team will come into Seattle, or or they'll go to somewhere else. I don't know if it matters. You know the name, quote name of the quote team. You know. I guess we should get we should get serious for the people. The people need their content. The people need to know what happened. They they have no idea. The people listening to this podcast have no idea what happened Thursday night. It's evening. On the West Coast, it, I, I mean, it's Lord knows what time on the East Coast. They they slept through this game. I hope they did at least. Yes, I hope the tryptophan really hit on the East Coast because, boy, it really, you know, to, in, to invite America into the hawk's nest like this for the first time this year, you know, a, a national audience, boy... <laughs> Yeah, it doesn't it doesn't speak well. So quick recap just to get us started to prime the pump. San Francisco 31, the Seattle Seahawks 13. Um 
Where do we start, Miles? Well, I mean, what what do we say about this game? Um, a, a lot to dislike. Um, a lot of a lot of difficulties. I will say, you know, I I, I rewatched the game before we started recording, and and one of my big takeaways, the the defense. I feel like actually, man, I there was a couple of big runs they gave up for McCaffrey. There was a couple of really good play calls that I thought Debo Samuel got us on. But for the most part, I found as I rewatched this game, I just felt bad for the defense. I just felt like these poor guys are just out here the whole time playing while our offense is drinking pina coladas on the sidelines. I mean, our, the, 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 our offense could not stay on the field. And I think that's the, that's the game. I mean, it, it was interesting watching it from, taking a few days off, right? You know, I couldn't look at the stats for a while. And and then as I watched the game again this morning, realizing, man, this was as good of an example of if you can't run the ball, if you can't control any kind of time of possession, you're going to have trouble. And and that's kind of what I saw. Yeah, it it almost felt like a schedule loss in in a way. Uh, I know that the Niners also played last Sunday, just as the Seahawks did. But the Seahawks, you know, the Niners were able to kind of coast against Tampa Bay. Seahawks were uh, melting down against the Rams. Geno had the injury, and it just kind of seemed like it just kind of seemed like it wasn't enough. Maybe it would have been different with uh, a normal week long of rest, but it just seemed like the team. There just wasn't enough time for them to turn it around for the game. Uh, credit to the Niners. They they were ready. And it, it did seem like they were waking up as as the game went along, which I think is encouraging for the game two weeks from now. But absolutely. The game was really lost in the first half. And yeah, that, that poor defense really did just have to stick out there. And and the offense just couldn't give them a rest. You know, never never mind towards the objective of, of scoring points. I was curious if, because the Niners seem so prepared, I, I was just curious if the Thursday night game is like a weakness of Pete Carroll's over the years because uh, he has the, you know, the days of the week, the tell the truth Monday, and, you know, that uh, that I think really helped the team get prepared on a normal week. But I was going, I wonder if it hurts on a Thursday night when everything's kind of crammed together, you know, and you just, you're kind of just out of the routine. Not really. Well, how about this? So he's nine and four with the Hawks on Thursdays. Uh, but we're now on an 0-3 losing streak. So it started out 9-1. and He started out crushing Thursdays. And now this is thir- three years in a row that uh, they've lost the Thursday night game. There's probably not enough games to mean anything. But he knows how to get the team ready for Thursday. It just seemed like every <laughs> this was just not the time for a Thursday game to be coming up on you. Yeah, you know, I, I will say I like the idea... If if I was trying to write a narrative, right, I, I like what you just said that, man, you're, you're coming off of a really tough loss versus the Rams, a, a game that you felt like you should have won. So a little extra demoralization there. Um, you got a Geno injury. You have a few other injuries that that were catching up to you a little bit for this game. Um, obviously, Kenneth Walker is a, is a big piece as well. So I do kind of... Uh, as a as someone that's trying to cling on to hope right now when we're looking at a a, a pretty rough patch in the season i i like the idea i like the narrative that you're spinning somewhat that okay if you're going to lose a game there's a lot of reasons why you're going to lose this game going into it you knew that you're playing one of the best teams in the NFL right i mean you knew in fact you said last week you 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 picked the niners right because this is going to be such a difficult game um, if I had more truth serum in me last week, I probably would have also chosen the Niners if I was actually betting money on it. So, so going into it w- w- was maybe you're you're set up a little bit for a loss. Um, to me, and this is something that you and I spoke about at length this week. What's what's a little disturbing about this game is and i will say i felt this way a little less after watching it a second time i i kind of need to get away from the emotion but man watching it live in the moment it felt like it was just you were outclassed it felt as though this team this 49ers team is just more talented top to bottom 
and you're just not in their league. And something I mentioned to you was just this feeling that every year it seems as though, and it's a difficult pill to swallow on this side of it, that it seems like there's a moment in a season where you realize who you are as a team. You know, September and October, you're you're learning your team. Late October, November, now into December, you know who your team is. You're, you're starting to have these games where you realize, oh, this is who we are. This isn't just a fluke. And it when when you and I are speaking in September, it's kind of like spring training. You know, it's kind of like baseball. It's hope springs eternal and hey, these are all these new guys and we're going to do all this great stuff. And now we're in the part of the season where you start really looking in the mirror and saying, oh, this is who we are. And sometimes, and I'll, I'll give a great example, sometimes it's Thanksgiving, you know, what, three or four or five years ago, and you have the Legion of Boom and Russell Wilson and Richard Sherman are eating turkey. Right, it was a few more years ago than that, unfortunately. You said, three, you said three to five years ago. <laughs> unfortunately, it was a few years before that. But sorry to interrupt you. There. It, it, six to seven years ago? How long ago was that, honestly? It was a while ago, wasn't it? Uh, the Super Bowl was won 10 years ago, if you can believe it. Is that the, was that the same year that we did the, um, the Thanksgiving game versus the 49ers? It might have oh, been. Oh, sorry, sorry. No, it might have been. I thought, I thought you were referring to, uh, you know, the, well, the peak of the. You might be right. I mean, it was prime. It was prime Legion of Boom. So it, it very well could be, or it was certainly within one or two years of the Super Bowl. So you're probably right. We're probably talking eight to ten years ago, which is hilarious. Um, but my it point feels being, like it, it feels like three years ago, though. Boy, are those memories warm and and right there, warm and fuzzy. Um, but my point is that on that Thanksgiving, I watched, we completely dominated the 49ers. We dominated Kaepernick. Um, I believe Richard Sherman had two interceptions in that game. Russ had a great game. And that was a Thanksgiving <clears throat> where at this exact moment in the season, I walked away thinking, whoa, we're, we're bad men. Like we are, we, we are on the right side of history in football. And obviously, you, you don't get that same vibe from this team, at least in this moment. This is a Thanksgiving. You walk away and you say, OK, so what have we done this year? We've beat we we're beaten up on bad teams. And that's good. That's what a good team does. Can we beat the great teams and the elite teams? Well, we did beat the Lions. So I think that counts for something. They're still doing pretty well. What they're are they eight and two? I believe. I mean, the Lions are great. Um so we gave them one of their losses. So that's encouraging. We were right on the edge with Cincinnati. So that's encouraging. But I, I get the sense with this team, unfortunately, that we are going to very much struggle against the elite teams. And it's one thing to lose a really close game that anyone could have won. But to get to get really beaten up by the Ravens and now to get really beaten up by the 49ers, to me, kind of... It signals, okay, maybe we're not the great team we had hoped we were going to be. We're a good team. And I, I'm not here to say that the Seahawks are a bad team. I'm just here to say that maybe it's time for a little bit of truth serum, a little bit of reality check. I don't think this is the great team that I had hoped it was going to be. I think that we're still a growing team. I think we're still getting better. Um, but certainly this this game, I think for all of us, was a bit of a splash of cold water to the face. So I, I don't know. Tell me what you think. I don't know if you agree with that, if, if I'm on the right track. But that's just kind of my uh, my stream of consciousness. Oh, you're, you're absolutely on the right track. I think I'm not uh, in shambles about this game because really looking at like the NFL – if you were to assemble an NFL power rankings, the Seahawks have been in a pretty narrow band the entire year. Despite some big ups and big downs, I think for the entire year, you would say the Seahawks have been between 8th and 14th in a league-wide power rankings. Maybe maybe 7 to 15. We're definitely sitting at that 14-15 right now. Still the 5th best record in the NFC. Not the 5th seed because teams from the NFC South are struggling, but... Still, five out of 16 in the NFC is, is pretty good. So this, despite the, the, great, the best moments and the worst moments of the season, they haven't really left that band. Uh, and 
Before the season, I guess I thought this was going to be a 9-8 and or 10-7 and team. That really hasn't changed. I think what hurts was the feeling in the early wins that you could kind of see, oh, this has the potential to be a 12 or 13 win team, 12 or 13 win team right now. So it, it feels tough that it's like, even though it, I do feel like they're going to, they are going to end up being a nine or a 10 win team, just as I would have thought in the preseason, there's a little bit of, uh, there's a bittersweet feeling because instead of being a, instead of being a young team that's like reaching up and grabbing those nine or 10 wins, it's kind of like, man, this is a nine or 10 win team that really let a couple of them get away. I feel like the, I feel like this Dallas game is, is actually the, the fork in the road in the season uh, because it, to get that win, Dallas hasn't played a lot of winning teams, but they can only play their schedule. They're eight and three. It'd be a big deal to get that win on the road. And then you're seven and five lose this game. You're six and six. That's looking pretty mediocre. Like I, I do think this, upcoming game i know we usually talk about at the end but that feels like the fork in the road to me of like is this team gonna be a a playoff team or are they gonna get like legislated into the playoffs because you you have to have set or or maybe miss it if things go really poorly you know uh yeah so i i think i think this feels like the 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 new chapter uh the dallas game one way or the other to me yeah. Yeah. No, I, I agree with that. And <clears throat> certainly going into this game, going into the 49ers game, this was to your point, we we knew it was going to be a difficult game. Heck, the next game versus the Niners is going to be hard. But this one was going to be especially hard with how um, how it was coming off of that Rams game and and kind of what we were feeling um, going into it. So I think I agree with you that this Dallas game is a really important moment. Um, you know, they're a good team. Obviously, they're a great team, but I, I think we match up OK against them. Um, I'm real interested. Obviously, we'll get that to the you know to the end of the podcast. We can we can save it for the end. Um, did you listen to. Any of uh, Pete's press conference this week, or or how much did you listen to Pete? I listened to him on the radio to the Monday turned Friday uh, radio, which uh, b- there was a lot of golden nuggets in that river. I, I had too many nuggets already, so I didn't I didn't uh, continue on. Okay, what I, was in the other river in the other in the neighboring canyon? You know, what my, nuggets were in there. My takeaway from Pete in general. And this this comes from from multiple sources. Obviously, it comes from the interview with Brock and Salk, and then comes from the the press conferences as well. Is just kind of this idea that Pete isn't quite sure what the identity of this offense is right now, and that is scary to me. Like that at this point in the season, and and it's something um, that Mike Salk brought up specifically, and I, I really agree with him, and it, it freaks me out. Um, this was Mike's point, and I, I'm, I'm very much in agreement. If in September, it goes back to the September conversation, right? When, when we're kind of learning about a team, if we're trying to figure out an offensive identity in September, okay, that's fine. That's normal. Now that we're getting into November, you know, even Chris Collinsworth said in this game that, um, that Mike Shanahan told Kyle Shanahan, this is when football starts. You know, this is this is actually the start of football season. And I, I kind of you can kind of get what he means by that. The we the idea that we don't have an offensive identity and that even listening to the head coach, he seems a little confused about the offensive identity is scary. You know, that's a it really is a massive problem. Um, I I, I want to see that figured out. Um and it, Mike asked a question. You were listening to this interview. And man, it was maybe one of the better questions I've heard someone ask. When you have this many offensive weapons, what happens? You know, like, do you have a hard time grabbing on to what your identity actually is? You know, we have these great wide receivers. So do we throw the ball? We have these great tight ends. So what? Do we throw it to them? We have these running backs we like. Do we run it? Who are we? What are we going to hang our hat on? you hate to say, well, we just have too many good players. So we're a bad team. Like that doesn't make any sense. That's a dumb take. Um, but you do kind of have to pick what you're going to, 
where you're going to go. So I'm, I'm curious your thoughts on that because you were listening to that same interview. I thought Mike really nailed it with that question. You know, what do you think about this team from an identity perspective and, and just kind of Pete's, uh, I don't want to use the word wavering, but man, Pete was not solid about what the identity of his offense was. Yeah, it's uh, I, <laughs> so I'm going to jump the run sheet a little bit because I pulled up some some stats. There's the, the Seahawks offense has some very contradictory things happening. Uh, and as I think as I as I read this, it'll kind of resonate with the experience of watching them because, boy, are there a lot of times especially opening up a game. Wow. That was a 14 play 80 yard drive. That worked perfectly. And then there's like entire halves where it's like <laughs> they gained 10 yards this half. Like it just completely goes in and out. Um, and it's led to these great. Yeah. I was just going to say, I think if there is ever an episode to jump the run sheet, this is the episode to jump the run sheet. I just, I, I couldn't be in more support of it today with what we just saw. So yeah, that, I love it. And as always, I do have my run sheet laminated. I'm holding it over my mouth so the cameras don't catch me. So I, I, I wish I hadn't even said that I'm jumping it, you know, because I'm giving up. I, I let it down a little bit and, and the cameras are, are picking up my mouth there. But um. Seahawks score on 36% of their drives. That's 16th best in the league, which feels good. That You know, like, okay, league average offense. Despite the interception problems, they're turning the ball over 9% of the time, which is tied for 6th best in the league. So that's all, that's elite taking care of the ball. So they're, they're taking care of the ball, you know? So pretty good so far, right? Okay. <laughs> plays per drive. They got 5.7 plays per drive. That's 22nd in the league. So that's a little below average. And then... Uh, and th this feels like a big problem. Time per drive. They're two minutes and 30 seconds, which is 29th in the league. So the Colts, which is kind of a weird one, but the Colts, Patriots, and the Jets are the only ones with a shorter average drive. So that means the Cardinals. That means the Panthers. That means, uh, you know, a lot of other teams who are the Bears, who are well out of the playoffs are still putting together a longer average drive than the Seahawks, who uh, they're still the fifth best team in the NFC. I don't know how this is all like coming together. This was still a bit of an issue for the team last year. They were, they were 23rd in the league in both plays per drive and time per drive last year when they were a playoff team. And, 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 you know, Gino put together the storybook year. Um, so it's a very, uh, this is a very long way of saying yes. You are right. I think they don't. <laughs> I don't. I don't even know how to distill an identity of an offense, but it's it's clear they're still looking for answers at a time of year when uh, you should have them already. Yeah, I mean, a, a couple of things that Pete said that specifically stood out to me was, and he said this now two weeks in a row that he wants to use Anthony Bradford more because he's a huge man that can move people. And so like, it's weird that like the CEO, right? Like the head guy, the head coach is saying, I want to use this guy more. He would be really good in our offense. And yet two weeks in a row, zero snaps on offense. So it's, that, to me, that's really weird. Like, I, I don't quite understand that. Two weeks in a row now, Pete has said, we need to use the tight ends more. I don't know why we're not using them so much. Something that we've been saying since, I believe, week four. Um, so it's very odd to me that, like, I don't know if he's, like, just being too chill and being like, oh, yeah, man, it'd be cool if we ran it more and used the tight ends. But, you know, whatever. Like, I don't think that's Pete. Like, I, I, I he's he's been doing this a long time. It just seems very strange that. Um, that I'm hearing Pete say, these are the things we need to do. And like anybody who's casually watched Pete Carroll for any amount of time will tell you he hangs his hat on running the football. We have two great running backs that we like. Uh, all accounts, we have a third running back we like a lot in, in Kenny McIntosh and, and DJ Dallas is solid. So it's very strange. It's like, if you want to do this thing, you are the head coach. You You can say like, we need to run the football more and like they will do it because you can fire them if they don't do it. Um, 
So it's it's very odd. Can I give you some numbers um, when we talk about average drive length? Because it, it's Absolutely. funny. So so you looked at it macro. I looked at it micro. But you and I were both taken by the same thing. So um, here, this is going to be some great boring radio. But I'm just going to read for you drive by drive for this game what our what our drive length was. Okay. Take a deep breath. Here we go. You can do this. I can do this. Drive number one. Now, let's keep in mind what happened right before drive number one. D. Eskridge had an unbelievable return, right? Uh, Kick return to the 35-yard line. So, electric start. I mean, imagine that stadium in that moment. Like, here we go. We're going to destroy these 49ers. That drive length was 54 seconds. It lasted four plays for one yard, and it resulted in a field goal. But obviously, that was basically all D on on the kickoff. Drive number two was way better comparatively, kind of. Um, It lasted one minute, 59 seconds. So let's call it two minutes. It was three plays for negative one yard and a punt. Drive number three lasted 36 minutes, ended in interception. Drive number four lasted one minute, 19 seconds. Drive number five, two minutes, two seconds. Drive number six, 39 seconds. Seven. Now we start getting into the meat of this. And actually, it's funny. The last uh, four drives, so drive seven to drive 10. Drive seven lasted uh, three minutes, uh, three minutes, 26 seconds. Drive eight. This was the pinnacle. This was the moment where we really put it all together. Um, six minutes, 28 seconds, which actually is a pretty legit, nice drive, uh, drive number nine, three thirty, and then drive number 10, three thirty-seven. So, um, at least the last four drives of the game, we had, like, we held it for a semi-respectable amount of time. But when you talk about 50, you know, again, starting from the top 54 seconds, 159, 36 seconds, 119, two seconds or two minutes. 39 seconds when you have multiple drives that aren't even making it a minute. Um, you know, that's just th- the recipe for being super hard on your defense and making those four guys work a lot more than they need to in this game. And by the way, that whole time, Nick Bosa is sipping on a Mai Tai while he cheers his chase young, who's sipping on a pina colada. Those guys are having the time of their life on the sidelines. They're getting massages they're watching movies. I heard that they have free Netflix on the sidelines. So they're just enjoying themselves, being very well pampered so that they can go after Gino. So, I mean, it's it's tough. You got to keep those guys on the sidelines as much as possible. And, and, and or and I'm sorry, got to get them in the game. You know what I mean? This yeah. is this is this is falling well, apart. The wrong me. people were on the doggone sideline. My point is we got to possess the ball. Full stop. I would like to tip my cap uh, oh, to the Niners, and uh, it is an old, an old leather miners cap uh, that you know I'd, I'll dip into the river as as I pan for nuggets uh, in honor of the San Francisco 49ers. So there were two things we have heard. Uh, it's a phrase that just gets used a million times that it's a copycat league. Well, how, how, and then, uh, you know, the Kyle Shanahan coaching tree, you know, P- assistants getting hired left and right, but somehow nobody's, nobody's really been able to copycat what Kyle Shanahan does. And what struck me in this game, and it's, it seems so simple, but Shanahan really is a master in both the run game and the passing game to just get all 11 of his guys moving downfield just as much as possible and it really creates a lot of extra yardage just constantly. I mean, it is kind of funny. The, the typical passing play, you got five of your guys, your five offensive linemen, kind of moving backwards a little bit, you know. But he's, he, he's just great at, like, let's see how many guys we can get running towards the, our own, you know, the end zone we're trying to score on. Um, and it, it really works. And it is funny that it hasn't just, like, completely changed how the entire NFL works to me, you know, because he has had this incredible offensive success without a, without a quarterback who has had a lot of success elsewhere. 
you know, uh, uh, so far in San Francisco. So there's that. The, the Niners are just, in a, it, it was just an elite operation. It was, it was kind of cool to watch, to be honest. And here's how thorough I thought their program was. Uh, because just, just like with the Ravens, you're kind of going like, yeah, yeah, this this team uh, could totally win the Super Bowl. And, you know, you wouldn't, you wouldn't be surprised at all. Their punter, Mitch Wisnowski, here was his day. He had five punts. Are you ready for this? That, this now, this is just a, a symbol of like how thoroughly everything's working in San Francisco that I, that I narrowed it on the punter because I kind of noticed he was having a, an unbelievable day <laughs> for a punter. So he punts the ball five times in the game. So that should be a win for Seattle. You're forcing a punt. No, it was almost worse. Because Seattle starts, here's how Seattle starts those five drives. They start it on the seven-yard line. They start the next one on the two-yard line. Third punt, DJ Dallas fumbles it. Fourth punt, Hawks start on the 10-yard line. Fifth punt, Hawks start on the 13-yard line. So that's five punts where he pins them inside the 20-yard line. I looked at it. So Wisnowski has 36 punts on the year. 19 of them, he's pinned the team back inside the 20 with only one touchback. So even their even their punting game is just like this uh and both of those like rates of like pit, the pinning and then the the touchback infrequency, those are like both top 5 in the league. So even their punting game is like completely dialed in uh and the you know, their special teams gunners are, as well are just looking to down that ball you know they're not getting too cute and just trying to get on the one. They're just looking to down it inside the inside the twenty, inside the ten, and th- I thought that was actually that's such a good uh, yeah. Punter cannot have a better game than that. It was a really big factor that you know the Hawks just never had a good field position to start off with, uh, amongst all the other problems that were happening. There were and it it, it is it's something to bring up that they to your point started within the five multiple times. There was a couple of plays there, a couple of weird plays, like one where the one where Gino like trips over. Um, I don't know if he tripped over his own feet or tripped over the running running backs feet and basically almost, almost was in for a safety himself. Was it a golden nugget that was left? There might, the there might've been a golden nugget from a 48er. Um, because the oh. 48ers were there right before the 49ers. They and were, it, yeah. it could be that that's where the golden nugget came from. Um, and, and so I like what you bring up because, look, there's part of this game that is just unacceptable football. There's part of this game is just bad football by the Seahawks, period, end of story. And I'm, I'm not going to make any excuses. There is another part of the game that I think is worthy to bring up that you had a few, some weird things happen. The punter did a great job, but you did have some bad field position that really kind of beat you in the butt. Um, And you had a couple of weird plays too, like him tripping on that golden nugget, um, right? And almost, almost landing into his own safety. Um, And then, you know, the, uh, the punt fumble, the fumbled punt by DJ Dallas, where it's like, Hey man, just, you know, how about if we just land on it? Let's not try to scoop and score. Like, Let's just land on that puppy. Um, and and frankly, you had at least one really bad call in this game where um, it was, I believe it was second and goal or second and 10. We're right on the verge of it being a, a, a first and goal situation um, where uh, JSN like clearly got held. Like it should have been pass interference in the end zone. It should have been on the one yard line. Um, potentially you would imagine we, we score there. Um, instead it turns into a field goal and, you know, my point being, there was enough kind of interesting, weird things in this game. You create your own luck, your own, your own destiny in the NFL, but it is at least worth saying there there were a couple of weird things. If I am going to take my hat off to anyone, I I can't, my hat will not come off for any 49er. I'm I'm just going to keep my hat firmly on my head. There's too much too much anger in my little heart. Um, but I am willing to take my hat off to JSN. That catch down the sideline, that one-handed catch was gorgeous. It was a crazy catch. Um, hats off to him. And then I'll, here's another weird hats off. Hats off to Bobby Wagner, who could have absolutely decimated 
Brock Purdy for um, a sack and instead kind of let him down gently. And Brock threw it to George Kittle like a little shovel pass. And Kittle ended up like getting three yards on the play. And then the very next play, he ran into Bobby's arms again. And this time, Bobby just put him down real fast. And I just thought like, it was one of those great examples of like Bobby Wagner's trying to do the right thing and be kind of a nice guy to the quarterback, let him down gently for like a, a gentle sack, got had to pay the price for it. And it's like next time. OK, yeah, we'll just we'll just put you down right now real fast. So um, Bobby actually did have a pretty good game. And then, hey, let's I'm sorry. My hat's coming off for a lot of Seahawks. It will be a forgotten play because they lost the game in such a terrible fashion. Jordan Brooks. Pick six. I mean, that was, I was screaming in my backyard. I was happy. We didn't win the game, but in that moment, I was pretty happy. And, and Jordan Brooks kept us in it for a little longer. So um, I'm willing to give my hat to a, to a few Seahawks in this game, even though it was a terrible loss. I, I appreciate that. The Hawks needs, need some hats off too. There were, there were some that were deserved. It, 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 that, that pick six did make it a game. You could see it becoming a game in the second half. Did it didn't quite happen, but it it made it uh, possible. I think you're 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 on to something though about them kind of heating up in the second half and and like them kind of sleepwalking. This is a we've had a few games now, haven't we, where they seem to sleepwalk in the beginning and then pick it up at the end. Um, kind of a weird dichotomy of this team. We've talked a lot about. The first game, the first play scripting has been really good, right? They've marched down the field multiple times this year. First play, touchdown, bam. And then we seem to go into this really bad point in the game where we can't do anything. And then in the end of the game, it's like they wake up. Am I right? Are you feeling that too? It's like this weird, it's like we're really struggling in the the middle section, (laughs) Um, I think for this one, it, it had to do with the four days rest and coming off such a tough one. Uh, I'll be interested to see. Yeah, there's. I, I think that's that's what I was getting at with like how the team is scoring on a pretty good percentage of drives, but the average drive is barely lasting any time. You know, yeah. because I, and I think that that's like there's a lot of seven and eight minute drives. And there's a lot of 30-second drives, and it's kind of averaging out at this uh, this rate that's among the worst in the league. Yeah. Do um, you want to hear some snap counts? Oh, yes. No one wants to hear any snap counts this how, game. Well, how, there, was, there was a lot of – not a lot of offensive snaps and, and quite a few defensive snaps. No one – no one cares about this about this dumb segment for this dumb game, but I'll say it anyway. Really fast. Snap counts brought to you by no one. Uh, Spoon, 100% of the snaps. Again, becoming old hat. He's just a really good player. Um, and actually, man, he had some great impact uh, plays out there as well this, this week. Um, JSN, 75% of the snaps. Charbonnet, 88%. Obviously, with K9 out, that was an issue. Um, Bobo, 21%. And now we get into the defensive linemen. As you might remember, Miles, I'm going to use my classic radio voice here. As you might remember, Derek Hall, where we left Derek Hall last week, it was at 9% of the snap counts. Derek Hall comes back in this game, 24% of the snap counts, which I think is, is at least good. He, he had a little bit more impact. And now for for the uh, the rest of the defensive line, and, and these are all veterans, um, Jones, uh, 62%. So feels like a pretty good number for him. Hate these numbers, though. Leonard Williams, 86%. Reed, 89%. Mafe, 83%. I know you're wondering it. I know everyone is wondering that. Cam Young, 0%. That is rough. I mean, Cam Young not even making it into this game. And you can see it with these guys like Williams and Reed have to take on those extra snaps since they can't have the young buck come in. And, and you know, as we know, they were on the field a lot today there or on, on Thursday. There were plenty of opportunities to get Cam Young in. Um, so that's a bit discouraging that we're we're seeing these higher snap counts now for these guys. We We want low snap counts for defensive linemen. So. 
there's the snap count. Um, you would have been crazy to sponsor this week's podcast. We got no money for it. Snap counts brought to you by, um, you know, see you next week. <laughs> I appreciate that next week came in and, and sponsored the podcast. Uh, Thank God. The possibilities are, are endless. Yeah. That's uh, the slogan from next week. Um, I did have a Pete nugget. He had a, he had a, they, uh, Salk and Stacy were kind of asking about how you actually manage the conversations with your coordinators in the middle of the game. And I thought it was really funny that he, he, had, he pointed out that he learned a while ago that when a unit is on the field, you can't talk to that coordinator during that time, which kind of goes back to what you were, it, you kind of have to have those conversations wrapped up either, you know, when the other unit is on the field or earlier in the week. But I thought that was really interesting, even though Pete is in charge of everything and calling the shots, as you say, there is this moment, there are, you know, a lot of moments where when, when that offense is on the field, you can't really chime in and, and talk to the offensive coordinator. I thought that was very interesting. It's one of those nuances I just hadn't ever even thought of before. I guess I thought it was more of like a back and forth since they, they got the mics on all day, you know, uh, but I just thought that was really interesting and considerate that even no matter how it's going, Pete had the awareness that you're only going to kind of make things worse if you chime in like while the offense is on the field. Yeah. Yeah. No, absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's really, um, there's things about Pete's management style that I love and like the realization, in fact, I'm trying to think of what his exact word, what he, he, I think he said, like, it's not fair to them, like to do that to them in the middle of the game, like to start nitpicking in the middle of the game. And if you just think about the great bosses you've had, that seems like a great boss, right? Like a boss that's like, nope, like it's my responsibility to talk to you about this yesterday or the day before that we're in the middle of the game. Like, it's, you know, the haze in the barn. It's just time to just go and, and just, you know, play the game at this point. So yeah, it's, it's like a good, to me, I just hear like, Oh, you're a good boss. Like you, you get it. Yeah. As, as we, as you mentioned though, there could, it seems like there's opportunity for other discussions to be happening earlier in the week about how this is actually going to go. But I, it, that was a very interesting and, and smart piece of football uh, knowledge to me. My other favorite coach in the NFL that I like listening to is down in, in the Miami Dolphins, Mr. Mike McDaniel. He's changing the game, and now Hard Knocks is busting their cameras in there to record what he's got going on. They are turning this show around fast. Fast enough that I don't, I don't actually know how it's logistically possible for like a producer to get a full full set of eyes on the entire episode before it airs. I mean, I don't, I don't know how they're doing this thing. The dolphins don't really want to be on the show. It should probably be a half hour show instead of a 50, 60 minute show at the, at this point, some, some fluff in there, but it's still, I still want to see it. Cause I, I don't watch every hard knock season, but I wanted to get this one from the start. Cause I like McDaniel so much. Now he's a funny guy. And, and that's what, that's what you kind of get. But now I've seen him talk so much, and there was actually, I think, a more insightful segment about his life that NFL Films did and put put on YouTube early this year. I think, so him being funny is obviously, as funny as he is, is very different from just about every other NFL head coach in history. But I think the real, and also, you know, the, there's the, the, the offensive, you know, genius is pretty different as well. But I think what is actually really different about him the real thing that makes him really different is the what how much and the way he talks about personal responsibility and the responsibility you have to your teammates to perform well and he feels a tremendous sense of responsibility to everybody in the organization and and all his players he said something about how you know this is such a short time in your life that you're going to reflect on for the rest of your life and he feels a responsibility as like the steward of that time for all of his players. I think it comes back to, in this segment NFL Films did, he was pretty open about how he had problems with alcoholism early in his 20s when he was still an, uh, an NFL assistant coach, uh, kind of on lower on the coaching totem pole. And it led to this two-year period where he coached the USFL. 
He was out of the NFL. He had kind of blown his opportunity, but he he uh, has worked on that issue. He's sober now. He clawed his way back. He got back into the NFL, and so I feel like that's a very unique. Uh, and then and then he also had all these peers in Sean McVay and Kyle Shanahan who he was peers with at one point, and then he kind of got behind them on track a little bit and they're they're going to Super Bowls and winning the Super Bowl in, in McVay's example and and he was still an assistant so I think that life experience I, I think it's pretty real what he's talking about that sense of personal responsibility I hope the Dolphins win the Super Bowl this year I mean I love this guy and I think I think it'd be amazing if if he won and he was the Super Bowl champion it would really change like what were you know copycat league it would really change what people are looking for in a head coach and i i think people might miss that it's like i don't know if nfl teams would hire more jokesters but i I think that personal responsibility thing underneath and just uh yeah it it, i i love it i love it so it's funny about mike is i i thought everyone just loved him because i i love don't I, i thought so too yeah i so I love Mike and I love listening to his press conferences. Um, a lot of my friends do. And then I was hanging out with some buddies I haven't hung out with for a little while. And we're talking the NFL. And one of them brings up Mike McDaniels. And it's like, oh, yeah, Mike McDaniels. Blah, blah, blah. And just the other dude instantly, um, Nate and Brendan, I'm talking to you guys, by the way. One-on-one um, podcasting. Yep, yep. I just, there's, if, if they end up hearing this, they'll wonder, you know, am I talking about them? I am. Um, they both were very dismissive and like, oh, this Mike McDaniels guy. And I, I, I don't say that to criticize them. I say it to be like, I was shocked. I was like, wait, I just thought that we, we don't all just love this guy. Like I, I'm, I'm a massive fan of his style. I love his sense of humor to your point, the responsibility side. And, um, but at the same time, kind of not taking it too seriously. Like it, it's almost like he knows it's a game, a game that he's trying desperately hard to win and he's trying to do everything he can for his team. But it's almost as if he's one of these guys that's like, oh, this is pretty fun, huh, guys? Like this is, we, we can just kind of goof off a little bit and like enjoy the moment. Um, and obviously, I mean, his offense is super fun to watch. So, dude, I, I love that. I'm, I have no interest in hard knocks whatsoever. I would I'm thinking about watching this one just because of Mike McDaniels because I like him so much. Really? Have you I well, I understand not having interest in hard not it it sounds so good, the idea. You're behind the scenes. I I think it's an issue of the show being too long. I I don't need to see another montage of players, you know, in practice with like the music going over it. You know, we've we've seen it at this point kind of but yeah. Yeah, let's just dig into it. No, I agree. I, I probably would like it more if it was a 20 or 30 minute show. But um, yeah, Mike might be enough to get me to get me in because I do enjoy that man quite a bit. He's funny. Now, that was a tip of the cap to the Dolphins. Here's hat back on Dolphins versus Raiders like two weeks ago. They're showing Tyreek Hill and his wife and his mom in the stands. A lot of empty seats in that stadium. Not a big stadium, a lot of empty seats right behind them. This team is eight and three and like the most fun team to watch in football. There are empty seats everywhere in that place. I, I couldn't believe it. That's weird. I, I did not notice that. I did see Tyreek Hill's wife get the nachos on her. I don't know if you saw that video or if it's the same one. Um, yeah. That really. And, and I would like to say if, if she's listening, with all due respect to her, um, and, and I'm sure she's a lovely woman and a very nice lady. Um, I do think that she kind of encroached on that man's position. He was standing up. She puts her hands straight up in the air and, and kind of, I feel like angled a little backwards. I get it. She just saw her husband get a touchdown. It was a moment of elation for her. I don't falter for it, but I think in an honest moment, she has to say part of the reason why there's nacho cheese on my arm is is because of me. I, you know, I, I think she did that a little bit. I, I think it, it takes two to tango when it comes to getting nachos dumped on you in that moment. Would you, would you call offsetting penalties on that one? Um, no, no, I, well, Hmm. I never thought of it that way. Yeah. It's kind I of guess a I neutral would. zone infraction and an encroachment. I you think, know, it really, yeah, I, I, think, I feel like it was, 
Yeah, that slow-mo was interesting because when you first see it, you go, boy, that guy really just really just dumped nachos right on Tyreek Hill's wife. So then the slow-mo is a little bit like... Yeah. And I, I can't imagine being in her position. Like if that exact same thing happens to me and I'm wearing just a, a, a blue t-shirt, whatever, yeah, just some normal t-shirt, and then I see that I have nacho cheese on my arm, I instantly am like what am I going to do? I have to go to the bathroom, try to get all this junk off. How bad does the back of my head look? And the, my whole back is, you know, full of nacho cheese. She's wearing a white shirt. She's a nice looking lady. I can't imagine. It's a much worse moment for her than it would be for me. So I will say I, I got to give her a lot of grace in that moment because I would be frustrated and like, well, okay, well, what am I going to do now? I have to like buy a new shirt not to look like an idiot. She's wearing a white shirt. I mean, that shirt. Now, listen, I, I think they're the Hill family's doing fine financially. But I mean, do you agree with me? OxyClean, I don't think's getting that stain out. I think that shirt's a goner. Well, you know what? We're t- Okay, we were just mentioning that the show could maybe be better at 20 or 30 minutes. What if you're this guy? You know, there's at least offsetting penalties. You've spilled nachos on a player's wife at a game. Which is already a, that's already pretty bad. It's, can you imagine a couple days later, it's on HBO? <laughs> yeah, tough. Tough look. Tough I look. Mean, it's already. <laughs> and can you imagine? Now, I'm HBO sure this will never. really did that guy dirty, you know? With I, the, think so. with, I don't think this will ever happen to him, but imagine, like, having to, at some point, talk to Tyreek Hill about that. Like, if, if HBO set it up where it's like there is a confrontation and you have to, like, Mr. Hill, I'm very sorry for spilling my nachos on your wife's white shirt. This is, you know, this is a tough spot. Um, yeah, no, that be, be a tough look for everybody. Again, it takes two to tango. We're all about taking responsibility on this show, um, you know, holding holding the mirror up to ourselves. And I think there's plenty of responsibility to go, go around. I hope they bury the hatchet by sharing a platter of nachos together. That'd be, that would be a nice way to end the story. I'd like that. Um, do you have that's any- how the season ends. Now going from, um, going from a coach that might wear his hat backwards, going from a coach that might be on the cutting edge, right? The new hotness, so to speak, in Mike McDaniel's, there there is a coach that I think wore a different kind of hat, Miles, and I have come to really enjoy the Lombardi uh, football hour. Do, do you have anything for us from the great the great one himself? Absolutely, I do. We've been talking too much about NFL from the 2020s. We need to go back to the 1950s and 1960s. I'm still reading When Pride Still Mattered by David Marinus, the absolutely gigantic biography of Vince Lombardi that I very much recommend to everybody. I got some stats here from from back in the day. The game was pretty different back in the day. Um, I guess I'm going to be roasting two Hall of Fame players here because there were moments in their Hall of Fame career that statistically just don't resemble anything we would see today. So Bart Starr, he's the starting quarterback for all of Vince Lombardi's time in Green Bay. 94 and 57 as a career starting record. He won the first two Super Bowls. He's a Hall of Famer and he's one of six players that Green Bay retired their number. It started slow though. He went to the University of Alabama before Bear Bryant got there. He was a senior in 1955. They went 0-10. It's the only time in Alabama history that they won zero games or one game. He still gets drafted, though. I'm very curious what the pack... He got drafted pretty late, um, about pick 200, kind of Tom Brady range. Uh, So 0-10, that's tough. But I'm, I'm very curious what the Packers saw on tape. I have on this paper here. Uh, so he played about two-thirds of the snaps at quarterback, it looks like. Ten-game season. Would you care to guess how many completions, touchdowns, and interceptions he threw over his ten-game season? I do not care to guess. I, I don't even want to wager a guess. Over ten games... He, as the leading quarterback, he completed 55 passes. So that's five, five passes a game. <laughs> he threw for one touchdown. And he threw nine interceptions. 
So I don't. That's I, incredible. Whoa. So it's in a way, it's kind of the greatest scouting of all time because the Packers looked at that and they thought, this is our guy to draft. And they were right. That was a Hall of Fame player. They they saw through the numbers to the, the guy, you know, and they got the right guy. And um, yeah, <laughs> there we go. So I've never been I've never been happier to not try to guess numbers because in a billion years, I would have never put that combination together. One touchdown, 55 completions, nine interceptions. That is uh, that's winning football, folks. And that's that is Hall of Fame caliber. And we're talking Bart Starr, right? This is the great Bart Starr. Yeah. Yeah. Incredible. Incredible. Uh, The other one. So I mentioned last time that uh, so the Packers had running back Paul Horning who was, um, that was who Vince Lombardi personally called JFK's private phone line to make sure he could play in the 1961 championship game. As one does. I didn't know this was going to happen, but uh, imagine this. So Paul Hornung, Hornung, is is that important that, you know, the the private call to the president, JFK arranges for him to play, excuses him from military duty. Turns out he uh, was gambling on football games. Uh, at about that time. And he was suspended for the entire 1963 season. I think a crucial thing is he never bet against the Packers. I forget if he bet for the Packers or not, but he was gambling on NFL games. So he misses the entire 1963 season. Uh, and, And so there were only 38 players on the roster at that time. So he wasn't just their running back. He was their kicker. And so when he came back in 1964, it was actually the one down year. Lombardi had a down year, even with the Packers. They went 8-5, 8-5-1 in 1964. And Paul Hornig kicks 38 field goals attempt, attempted in that year. Uh, I won't make you guess how many he makes. <laughs> I'll, I'll just tell you in just a second. But we're imagining 38 field goals over a 14-game season. He makes 12 of them. There was no kicker. He was just their guy. We're just going to keep on going out there. 12 out of 38 field goals made. That included three for seven inside of 20 yards. Here's the almost the more amazing thing. <laughs> extra points. He goes 41 for 43 on extra points. So I don't... Look, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. So I'm really curious when like kickers actually started coming in as like a roster spot, but that was just kind of their guy and they stuck with him. You might be wondering what happened in 1963 when he was suspended. They had Jerry Kramer who made the hall of fame for playing guard on the offensive line. He was also the backup kicker and he went 16 for 34 for field goals that year. He went 16 for 34 on field goals. The Packers still went 11-2-1 on the year. <laughs> I think I like that version of football better. I really do. I think I like that version of life better, where it's like, yeah, you did pretty good. Like, we're, we're fine. Like, let's not take ourselves so seriously. Everything in our world now is so ultra competitive. The idea of, like, just good enough is so intriguing to me and so cool. Like, it's just a different – it was a different world. And, and, like, not just in football, but in many ways – and I would not, I would like some of that world. I think that's kind of fun. Do you think, well, do you think it should be a rule to make the game like way more unpredictable that like a player has to play like at least 25% of the offensive or defensive snaps in order to be eligible to kick a ball in the game? It'd make it a lot more interesting, wouldn't it? Yeah. If there's less specialty in almost everything and just more like, yeah, he's pretty good at this. He can do it. You know, there is that attitude that, oh, he's pretty good at it. But this is the guy who's credited, and the the book gets into this. He didn't, Lombardi didn't invent this phrase. But, you know, the idea of the winning, winning is in every, uh, you know, whatever. With It's just funny that Lombardi is so famous for winning, and yet this also happens on the team with, with the field goal kicking. And, I mean, what's a, if, if you're one of those other guys, aren't you kind of... Getting some reps in after practice, you know, you could take that up. Like anyway, hey, hey coach, I, I think I could do this. I mean, I I can give it a shot. I mean, it's the the bar. I can't is make more low. than forty percent, but we're at like thirty percent right now, so I think we're good. I think I can upgrade us. No, that's great. I I love this. I I, I love thinking about um, 
thinking about the world during that time and then specifically what's going on in sports. And and honestly, you know, I'm, I'm not saying these guys weren't ultra competitive. I, they were. But it was a different level of competition. It was much, I think, much more like, oh, yeah, we, we're playing football. You know, like it's less it, it didn't have the it wasn't a multi-billion dollar business, I guess, at the time. Right. It, it was a different kind of uh, different kind of vibe. Speaking. You, are you ready for a really good segue? Oh, yeah. I mean, and you know it's a good segue when someone says, are you ready for a good segue? Speaking of multi-billion dollar businesses, the Seahawks face the Dallas Cowboys in the Dallas Palace. Lots of billions of dollars. In fact, I believe the Cowboys are the worth the most, right? They're like the number one team um, in the in in like the, the worth rankings or whatever, you know, they're they're, they're they got a lot of You're money. Right. Those I, I don't know what. The, and now that you've said it, I've always read that and gone, yeah. But now that you've said it, it seems baffling because they haven't won a championship in thirty years, and uh, there's there's been lots of championships won across a lot of sports in the last thirty years. So kudos kudos to the Cowboys for but getting it done. They are America's team. None of us we refuse. I mean, no one questions that. This is just America's team through and through. Um, how about them Cowboys playing at the Dallas Palace? Um, what do you think, Miles? How how are we going to do? So you're saying you you told us an hour ago, fifty minutes ago, you said this is an important game. This is this is going to be a fork in the road type moment, a crucible. This is going to be be a pivot point. This is a tension moment in the season. What do you think will happen? Come Thursday, two Thursday games in a row, by the way, full week off this time. What's what's your prediction? And and actually, let me just say this. Nice for both teams. Both teams have a whole week off. So it's not like one team's getting screwed here. Um, what, what do you think is going to happen in the Palace? I would not be surprised if uh we have a similar game against the Cowboys as we just did against the Niners. But I do I, – I think the Hawks will win in a, in a shootout. I think it will be like 36-33 or something like that. I think there there is a lot of – it feels like the Seahawks have a team that, that can be a 12 or 13 win team without a lot of changes to the roster. It feels like the talent is in there. And I really hope it comes out. Uh, and I, I, it, it would take, you know, we've talked about how there's just a couple times each year when when everything comes together for for every unit on the team. And if that if that happens, I do think they can beat the Cowboys if, if they play a complete game. Everybody plays a complete game; they can absolutely do it. And I hope they do. So I'll say that thirty six thirty three, big one. I almost got the Niners one almost exactly right too, which I was. Uh, <laughs> I, I wish I was you happy didn't. about that. Or yeah, not. <laughs> yeah. I wish you didn't. Um, but no, you you were spot on with the Niners. Um, I will continue to be a homer for for the Seahawks. I will say that we will win this game. I will say that we will win this game based off of Pete's philosophy and his stick to itiveness, or or maybe coming back to Jesus when it comes to the running game. So I think that we are gonna. Um, control the football. I think we're going to run the football. I think we're going to try to slow the game down, muck it up, um, which is something we've done to great effect in the past. I think Pete's going to um, uh, going to encourage his offensive coordinator and his and his coordinators to put a game plan together that is much more about ball control and getting getting those short area passes with a few um, explosives sprinkled in. Um, but yeah, maybe I'm saying what I would like to see, which which that, it's the direction I would go in this game, which is full ball control. Let's get back to the basics. Um, let's give our defense a break. You know, I, I'll say this. I feel I'm nervous for C.D. Lamb because, listen, he might be one of the best wide receivers in the game, but he's going to have to face Devin Witherspoon. I'm sorry, CD. It's all it's over. It's a spoon you, against a lamb. You are going to be sent to the slaughter, CD Lamb. That's that's all I gotta say. 
So no, I I think that we'll do okay. Um, yeah, I'm gonna say this is I'm gonna though it's gonna be a similar prediction. In fact, I'm gonna say the exact same score I said for the 49ers. It's gonna be 23-20 Seahawks. We're we're it's gonna be a tight game, it's gonna be a muddy game, not literally, but you know what I mean. It's gonna be it's gonna be a dirty game, it's gonna be a slow, mucky game, and we're going to win because we are going to force our wills upon them. So that is my prediction for the game. I got one last matchup that we maybe need to pay attention to is Lamb against Reek Wool in. <sighs> think about it. Think about it. Oh, I didn't even think about that. that I mean, not a lot. Not enough people are talking about that matchup. Oh, I don't know who gets the upper hand there. But... Man. Talk about explosive. There's no there's no Amazon next gen stats for that, is there? Man, I that's why you're the best. That's why you're the best. I mean, stuff like that. I, I I'm I'm flabbergasted. Um, Miles, I think we should stop talking. I think we should we should put this one to bed. Um, I'll talk to you next Tuesday. We're gonna have a nice Seahawks victory. We're going to have lamb with mint jelly. It's gonna be perfect. Excellent. I can't I can't wait to uh is that a real food? I can't wait to have it. Mint mint jelly with lamb is a is a real thing. Um Go Hawks. But I have another way of saying go hawks because I need to shout out to our German listeners. And I'm very nervous. Whenever you have to say something you don't quite know how to say, it's it's a nervous thing. I, I don't know if I can pull it off. I think JFK himself had a similar moment in his presidency, but I think the I think the German people understand the spirit, the olive branch, the hawk's wing that you're reaching out. Gee, Belkin. That's uh, hopefully I said it right. Roughly translated, go hawks. Gee, Belkin. I again, there's no way you can get in touch with the podcast, but. If I said it wrong, reach out in any in any channel you can and, and help me pronounce it correctly. Um, but shout out to our German friends. Go Hawks. Gefelken.